Hello, hello. This is Coach Mo, and we're here uh, on another episode of the Evening Social Podcast. The Evening Social Podcast is the Jenna Club's vision uh, to build a community of uh, individuals who have an entrepreneurial mindset and that are economically independent, uh, working in harmony. This platform here, the Evening Social Podcast, uh, is our career exploration uh, interviews, where we interview uh, people who uh, look like our young ones, our community, that are thriving in a professional manner for them to see. Kids will emulate what they see adults doing confidently, and we want to put a platform out for them to consistently see adults that are right from their own backyard that are thriving in a professional manner. Uh, tonight's episode uh, is entitled, Definitions Belong to the Definers, Not the Defined. I'm very, very elated, you know, I use that word elated, excited to have uh, the lady that's here tonight. Uh, my guest, she is, um, she covers every spectrum of the realm, from being a daughter, a mother, a sister, a wife, a uh, grandmother, uh, a friend, an educator, a mentor, an author, a role model, uh, and a phenomenal woman. Um, I'm pleased to have Dr. Sandra Samuels tonight. Well, thank you so much, and I'm pleased to be working uh, he, with you again in a different way because we work together over at a building, and you also are a dynamic mentor and role model. And I am just so amazed at what has happened with you in your life. So we do have some parallels where we have run together, and I'd like to share those with you. Well, thank you. I am here to do that. Okay. I, I um, make sure that I let everyone know that, you know, the Jenna Club, our not-for-profit organization, part of the definition of Jenna uh, is to not be afraid to speak uh, truth to power. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to speak some truth to power. Uh, some people call it hard conversations, uh, but it's only hard because sometimes emotions come up when we deal with the past. Uh, but I always like to say that what we are going to do, uh, our conversation tonight, is not for us. Our conversation are for those who come before us and those who come after us. So we're honoring those who came before us, and we're teaching the ones that come from behind us. So uh, it's an honor to have. Can, can you just tell me this? I want to get this out the way. So I do this all the time. What is your profession? Right now, I am a professional guidance counselor in a middle school. I have taught every grade level from pre-K to high school through the 12th grade, depending on what I was teaching, regular education, and special needs for children. And at sometimes, I am an adjunct professor of psychology and English. Okay, there we go. See, uh, many hats. <laughs> we love it. We love it. You can't, you, and I, I, one thing I really love, that's why I was excited to have you here, uh, is because you have wore many hats. You have had plenty of professions, and I want our young people to understand that they don't have to limit themselves to only one thing. They can actually become who and what they want, and it can be different things, too. Absolutely. This is also something that I learned from grandparents. I grew up with both sets of grandparents, my parents, teachers, and mentors alike. I was stuck too. I wanted to just do one thing. And people in my life wouldn't let me. They said, you need to try this. You can do this. Even if you don't like it, try it anyway. Even if you stumble, I don't like to say fail. 
Even if you stumble and fall, get up. And that's a learning lesson along the way to your journey. So I was fortunate to have all those people in my life to tell me about that, and I'm glad I did. And looking back, I um, also didn't take some of the opportunities that I had, and I regret some of those now, but it was because I was so afraid, so afraid that I was not going to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to make your mark in this world. All you have to do is try, and if you don't succeed at that, try something again. Yeah, I like that. I really do. I like that. Um, in, in sports, we always say we don't lose. We, we learn, you know. So I, I love that because um, there are going to be failures. There are going to be things uh, that you don't um, – I don't like to use the word succeed. There going to be things that you're not the best at. Right. You know, and it doesn't mean that you don't try again. It doesn't mean that you try to go. Um, in sports, I've always said I want kids to play as many sports as they want. You know, not just this one sport because I'm the coach. No, play as many sports as you want. You never know growing up what your skill level is, what your passion is, or, you know, what you're really good at. So I like that. I also put that into life uh, as far as jobs, careers, and professions. So that is what this is all about. Open it up to our students, our, our, our audience, for them to explore different career opportunities. We're not telling them to be any specific thing. We're opening it up to them. And then they find what helped you be successful to use that part in their life for what their skill level is. Absolutely. Yeah. I also call that growing pains. So okay. whatever pain I get doing this opportunity, then I may not have to repeat it. So I learn from that. So you learn. That's one way to grow. And as you told your story about sports, I tell this sometimes to people and they look at me in awe and disbelief. I played sports also. Okay. That's not hard for me to believe. In, I grew up as a tomboy. I had brothers and I loved to play with my cousin, Mills, and I played a lot of sports. But in college, I had to play football, basketball, okay. and softball. Okay. And believe it or not, I was quarterback when I played football. Okay. I, I, was, uh, I learned how to play football, and I never stayed in the pocket. I was always a running quarterback so because my okay. <laughs> offensive line was not protecting me. Okay. And I had to hurry up and get out of the pocket and throw, get that ball in my hands. So Michael Vick wasn't the first mobile quarterback. No, he child. wasn't. Okay. Sandra was one Sandra, of okay, a I got long you. time ago. <laughs> okay, I like it. And I, I learned to play volleyball, badminton. And at uh, Wiley College, where I went to college uh, to get my undergraduate degree, I really liked the way that they taught us. They really got us ready for challenges. And some of those sports, they wouldn't let us sit down. They would say, you'd have to get up. I also took swimming. Oh, man, well, uh, Where I grew up, there was not a swimming pool for black people, the public pool. Mm -hmm. pool. We had it in high school. And the pool was so small. And I didn't want to, you know how black girls are, mm -hmm. didn't want to get their hair wet. So I was allowed to work in the office and okay. library. But my first gym class in college was swimming. Mm. And when I walked in that gym and saw that pool, I almost fainted. Because I knew in my head I couldn't do it. They're, uh, 
getting ready to bring us our, our dinner out. All right. They're ready. They let me know that they're ready. Okay. So we're going uh, okay. But I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, That's but I just okay. wanted to know it's okay and let you know it's, it's coming. Okay. Now, we, I have what I think is going to be a treat for you. Okay. Um, our cook tonight is a dear friend of mine, Andre Dorn, uh, with Taste of Flavor. Okay. And so when I told him who you were and what special this was for me, and I was explaining to him, you know, he said, nope, this meal, this is what we got to have for her. I okay. told him what you told me about wanting to abstain from certain things. He said, nope, this is what it is. So I hope when they bring it out, I hope you look at it and you like it. Okay. okay. I have no doubt in my mind that it's, it will be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, true. So we, I, I start a segment. I always have a segment to where um, I start with, and we call it icebreaker uh, or fun questions. That's kind of what we call it. Uh, but with you, uh, I'm going to switch it just a little bit, okay. um, and I'm going to call it quotes from legendary black women. This is our section. So it's, this is the fun section with us. All and right. I want to give you a quote, and I want you to tell me um, – I'll tell you who it's from. You'll have to try to figure out who it's from. Okay. But I want you to tell me what comes to your mind uh, when I say this quote. All right. Now, I got to put these on make sure I'm, I'm reading. Okay. The first quote is um, uh, our title from tonight. Definitions belong to the definers and not to define. That was from Toni Morrison. So what do you think? What comes to mind when you hear that? The first thing that comes to my mind is that I'm going to define me and not let anybody define me. Even if people put labels on me, I don't have to accept that. Oh, my goodness. This oh, my goodness. Is. <laughs> this is what it is. Now, I hope you like this. We're oh, see. wow. That looks <laughs> yummy, yummy. <laughs> so, is that something you would eat? That's something I will eat. <laughs> you know, I'm from Marshall, Texas, and this is what we ate. Okay. Uh. All right. So if... In, uh, in, in so many words is that if somebody put get, label me a name, I don't have to take that name. Mm -hmm. I don't have to even give them any words. And the best way to help a person understand who you are, you show them who you are. And they'll learn how you are. And those, this is what happens when I wrote my books. Even though this person, one character, did not have the confidence but he surrounded himself around people who helped build his confidence. So I want young people to understand if you are going to go along your journey, surround yourself around people that will support you. And this is good for anyone, an adult, anyone. And don't let anybody tell you who you are. Okay. You make your legacy of who you are. I like it. All right. He, um, Andre is running behind, so he'll be, he'll be here, and we'll get a chance to tell him. After you taste, we'll get a chance to tell you more. He sent uh, a few people to serve us and bring oh, it. Wow. He cooked it, so we go. Um, I got to get a picture of it before oh, I touch okay. it. Oh, okay. Go right so ahead. I'm, I'm going to get a picture <laughs> of what it is that we're eating. I always like to kind of show our people what it is that we kind of got. Go right ahead. What we ate today. All right. Did you want to take a picture of mine, too? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm just taking a picture of this one. They may think I got two plates. <laughs> <laughs> that may not be a bad thing. <laughs> so this is our next quote. Success is like yourself. Success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. 
Ms. Maya Angelou. You know, sometimes it takes us a long time when we're on our journey to like what we do. I read that the most wealthiest people in the world made their wealth on something that they like to do. Mm. Some of them had careers and they worked with, for other people and they said, I don't like this. I'm gonna have fun and do what I like to do. Now, I'm not advocating that people um, quit their jobs mm -hmm. and start doing things and not have an income, but if you like to do some things, do it and have fun with it. And who knows, they may be the next billionaire. We can add names to that instead of some of the billionaires are there. I like to see more billionaires that look like me and especially women. I like it. I would like to see that too. I, that, that's one of my favorite quotes because I, I just look at it as, you know, success is not defined by how much money you have. Success is defined by other things. There's other right. looks of success. And that's something that I preach to uh, our youth, our youngs that's involved with us, is that, man, success looks many different ways, and it's not gauged by the amount of money you have. It's right. gauged by other things. So that, that's what I get from that. Um, another Maya Angelou uh, quote, um, in diversity there is beauty and there is strength. Beauty is only skin deep. Okay. We can be beautiful inside as well as outside. Sometimes people who are, have the most attractive outer appearance mm -hmm. do not have beauty. And some people who people think that, oh, they're not the most attractive faces to look at are beautiful in the inside. And that overshadows all this outward looking of people. That beauty can overshadow all of it. And I have seen people that I had to say, that is a beautiful person. And I didn't really focus on what they looked like outside. I focused on what they looked inside and that just overshadowed everything. So a lot of times, we should focus on that person. I like that. I like that. Uh, this is another one uh, by Zora Neale Hurston. It's no use of talking unless people understand what you say. Absolutely. Words do matter. Yeah. I came from a part of the country where there were words and phrases that meant something all together in the Midwest. It's how you use your words and how people will, you communicate using those words. Because we could say those words with a tone that would make people upset, cry, or laugh. Right. And they could be the same words. But as you communicate with people, you have to be very cautious of how the person receiving that, those words will react. And sometimes it's not uh, the, the words that directly hurt a person per se, it's how we use them and how we give them to them and communicate with them. Okay, two more, two more quotes. Okay. This quote, and I spent probably 15 minutes trying to make sure 
that I pronounce this name the correct way. Okay. Intazaki Shange is her name. And the quote is, I'm a firm believer that language and how we use language determines how we act. And how we act then determines our lives and other people's lives. You're absolutely right. And I like that quote. I, that takes me back to my days of growing up. And I would hear senior people would say certain words and even some of my relatives and I would be so embarrassed. And I'm thinking, why do they talk like that? Why do they sound like that? But as I start thinking about it, we had people like me that came from all over the world, different tribes, and they were not speaking English. They had to come to America and learn how to listen to the words and say the words. And transferring those, they learned a language with not anyone is sitting down teaching them in a classroom. They had to learn it as they were working, running about, and just communicating with other people from other languages. And to hear those, and I think about it now, those words sound sweet to me. Because when you hear a person who is seniored and they are speaking, it sounds like music to me now. And they still learn how to communicate although they were saying different words. And I, and I uh, am a strong believer, this is why so many of the artists who write words and perform them, they are great communicators because people around the world love those songs. They have that jingle. They can dance from those. And so that is a great communicator. Those words mean the same thing around the world, whether they know how to say them they can still understand them. And that's a great communicator. Okay, I like that. This is the last one, and this is kind of a trick one. Okay. These peas okay. are... Oh, you oh, like the black yes. eyed peas? Okay, he said, he said, this is what we got to have for you. He said, I said, okay. Mm, um, I said, yeah, she's probably going to like that. Oh, yes, they are very delicious. Okay, good. I'm glad you like them. Now, this quote here, I'm not going to tell you who this is. Okay. And it's a little long. All right. <clears throat> and you don't have to say anything. Because okay. once I say it, I'm going to tell you who it's from. Okay. And then you'll know why I'm saying this. Mm -hmm. I can recall a time when voting was not my grandmother's right, but became mine in the 60s. I can recall being told by a college professor that I should not be in his all-male economics class because women had no place in business, and that I needed to move to an education major. I can recall a time when a boss made me work late, knowing that I would have to pay an extra fee for picking, up, for picking my children up late from daycare, only to see the day when he would work for me years later. This came from Miss Beverly Evans Smith. Wow. And the reason I got that quote is because in my research, I found out that Ms. Beverly Ann Smith uh, is the national president and CEO of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. 
And I don't know how that ties in with you, but. <laughs> it ties in very well. I can relate to that because I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Okay, that's for the red. Life now, the member. red for me is because I went to Wyandotte High School. Okay. Uh, and I'm a bulldog, so I'm representing Wyandotte High School. But the red for you is because I knew that is a color uh, of the women of, of Delta. Okay. Okay. Well, what I would like to say to her first part of that, I can relate to that also. Mm -hmm. My maternal grandparents were educated and they had degrees from Bishop College and Prairie View A&M University, where I also graduated to my graduate degree. I remember the times and the stories that my grandfather would tell that he and my grandmother had to pay that $25 poll tax, each $50 every year to vote. And when they pay after okay, now they say that again. You said they had to pay twenty five dollars a piece. Yes. To vote. To vote. Voter vote. suppression. Okay. And as soon as they pay, made the application and paid the twenty five dollars, they had these white men, who most likely didn't graduate from high school, they would say, "Guess how many jelly beans in a jar?" And they were always wrong, and they would laugh. And they would say, next. Now, my paternal grandparents could not afford so they, the $25, so they didn't even try to vote. And then when my parents, who, it was a toss-up whether they could pay it or not, but they were told from each of their employers, if you vote, then you, that's, you will get fired. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the things that people don't understand about voter suppression that could also cause economically some things to harm people. For example, I was told stories that some people like me and you who wanted to vote and if they voted, their house may mysteriously catch on fire and the fire department wouldn't put the fire out. Mm. So they had to be very cautious about that. But I am able to report before all of my grandparents passed away and my parents, they got an opportunity to vote. Okay. They got an opportunity to vote. And for me, when I first graduated from high school, I went to Prairie View and I was down in Walla County, which I was not allowed to vote. So eight of us got in a car, we went back to Marshall, that was 800 mile round trip. Our parents didn't know, the school didn't know. We went and voted and got right back in the car and went back to Prairie View. Okay. <laughs> but my brother who went to Texas Southern in Harris County, Houston, Texas, hmm. they were allowed to vote, register and vote. But in where I was in Walla County, I wasn't allowed to vote because I was not a resident there. Okay. So these are some things that I can, our CEO, President Smith, mm -hmm. I can relate to. Nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I thought you may have something about with that that might, right. <clears throat> uh, one of the things that uh, I love to do is I love to uh, show the diversity uh, of our guests, but also allow our, our young ones to understand uh, what Greek life is and about so 
We're going to get to that a little later, okay. a little more in depth, a little bit about that. Okay. But I, I want them to understand, and I always put a disclaimer out there, you know, I'm not pushing one or the other. What I'm doing is showing them uh, the beauty in all of them uh, and um, allowing you to tell your story of where two chunks. So I just want to say that. Now, as we move, we're going to get into kind of talking a little bit about family life growing up. Um, and so you kind of touched on it, but I'm going to ask you again. Where were you born? I was born in a college town called Marshall, Texas. Marshall, Texas. Okay. All right. And um, describe your relationship with your, with your parents. Just tell me about your relationship with your dad first. Okay. My father was a very hard worker. He did not get a third-grade education. But it was not until he passed away, he worked at his company, and he was also a farmer. He retired as an engineer. He started working at this company, putting coal into these machines where they made pencils and a lot of other products. And he, with the third-grade education, and the way he was very, very um, confident and determined, he got promoted all the way to an engineer where he was going around checking the levels and recording those. Mm. And when I got ready to graduate from high school, he said, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Having three sisters already been to college, two of them had graduated and the third one sister was in college and I said well I don't know he said you don't know I said no I don't know yet he said what you want to be I said I don't know he said well <laughs> I'd rather for you to be something and not to be nothing and that always stuck with me I thought well, what in the world does that mean but he said I'd rather for you to be something than to be nothing so we got ourselves my mother didn't want me to go away from college because I was the first one to break the mold, to leave and to go to college and not in the town I was in. And he came and he bought me some luggage. He gave me some money. I packed my clothes and he bought me a trunk and he said, I want you to do the best you can do. Okay. Nice. So, okay, so very supportive. Very supportive. My grandparents were there. I had a younger sister and a niece who were they didn't go to, we didn't have kindergarten at the time in texas so when my mother, grandmother passed away my father uh, came home and he said uh could you do something for me i said what he said will you transfer and come back to wilder college and help us and i thought oh god there goes my opportunity because i was majoring in engineering i want to be an engineer and i know the college i was coming to didn't have that program but because of the way he had supported me, I could not say no. Mm -hmm. So I transferred and, and graduated from Wiley College, but I went back to Prairie View that summer. He let me go back for summer school, and then I got my master's in counseling from Prairie View after I graduated from Wiley College. Okay, all right. Tell me a little bit about the relationship with your mom. My mother always <laughs> called me the little rebel. I could she could tell me to go left and I would go right and then 
I, I understood how protective she was because they didn't want Jim Crow to harm us. Mm -hmm. But I was not the kind of person that ran away from home, cursed her out, and that was not allowed. But some of the things I did was that I, I would, she would challenge me and I would take it to the line and not cross it. But she was also supportive. She, um, everything that we need that they could afford, we got it. We didn't get spoiled, but we got what we needed to survive. And as I got older, I got more closer with my mother. And I would, we, all my siblings would tell her things that she said and would not allow us to do. And she would say, look at us and say, did I actually do that? We said, yes, you did. <laughs> I don't know if she was forgetful or she was just trying to play it off. <laughs> but she would like always say it. I would say, yes, you like did. my dad over I don't remember doing that. I don't, yes. I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't do that. Did I do that? No. no. You're just making that up. No, we're not making it up. <laughs> he said that too. <laughs> I think you're making that up. <laughs> uh, okay. Good. So what about, um, now you kind of mentioned, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have four sisters. One is deceased. And they made it hard for me in that, I'm the, in the middle, three over above me and three below me. They always made it difficult because they were all high scholarship. And when I got to a class and some of the same teachers over and over, they would say, now Brewster, I know you can do good. You're gonna do better than that because your sisters did this. And I had to always uh, make sure that I did the right thing because it was not unusual for some of my mother's first cousins to be our teachers. Oh, okay. And I got the biggest surprise from my oldest sister, um, and she said nothing to us. I walked into my typing class one day, and there she was, the student teacher. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, why did you? I said, I didn't know. And she was tougher on me than any of the students in there. I said, can I? May I go to Miss Brewster? May I go to Beth? No. And I thought, gosh, I got to live with you, and you're my teacher too. <laughs> I have two brothers who, they were younger than me, and I used to, um, they were really, we were really close, and I just lost my last brother in March. I'm sorry to hear that. And my oldest brother right under me had died some years ago. And... He was a very sickly person that had heart problems. And the doctor always told him that you can't do manual labor. And he was, they were getting ready to skip him a grade, but he got sick. But he still graduated on time. He graduated from Texas Southern University. And he went to, he was very successful where he went to California, had his own real estate business. He had some franchises of Wendy's but I think he worked too hard and didn't listen to people. And he had another uh, episode and he didn't survive. And my youngest brother also had his own company after he graduated from high school. He went to Houston and Houston Junior College and he went to the army, got out of the army and then he brought about his own business until he retired and went to California. Oh. Oh. 
So um, you mentioned a little bit about your grandparents uh, before, so I won't ask you about that because you kind of touched that mm -hmm. uh, went in. But uh, I am going to ask you this. Growing up, who were you the closest to? Who would you say you were closest to or your family members? Or who would you say you were closest to? Boy, it's hard. That's a hard one because we were so close-knit. Mm -hmm. If I needed this, I knew what sister to go to. If I needed this, I knew what brother to go to. And they always delivered. I may not have gotten it right when I asked for it, but I got it. So I'm going to give them all equal on that equal, one. All equal. Okay. That's good. I'm glad you had a good network. We talk about networks and that net of people around you that you can rely on and go, so that's, that's great. And that's one of the, our number one pillars in, uh, with our Jenna Club uh, is relationship building and networking, teaching our young ones how to build their network, but not only how to build it, but how to use it. Oh, no. Because sometimes you have to understand, you know, how to use it, w what to use. And, and I've even noticed that, like you said, I knew what, who to ask for what. Some, right now we're learning and teaching that it's okay to ask for it help. Is okay. You know, and so that, that I like that. I, I'm, I'm glad that you that you shared that with that, us. That's my motto, and I tell my students, whatever age, I won't know what you need if you don't ask me for it. And that's the only way I can help you when you tell me what you need. Right. If I don't have it, and my father was like this, and we always, everybody always would come, his sisters and brothers, my cousins from out of town, they always liked staying with us. Because uh, my father had this uh, motto, if I don't have it, I'm going to go out there and get it and bring it back to you. So just always tell me what you all need, and he would go out and he would get it. Although we would have to cook it. <laughs> right. But, but he would. You got it, though. You got it. Mm -hmm. And they love coming and staying with us. I like that. You know, I was always told, close mouth, don't get fed. That's the same thing. Ask for it. You have to speak up, ask for what you need, and there's nothing wrong with asking. No. You know, so I like it. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about family, but we're just a little older. Okay. Uh, about you married? Yes. Okay. How long have you been married? Gosh, you would ask me that question. I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say 47 years. Oh, man, 47 years of marriage. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. uh, how many kids? Two. Two kids. But I have a blended family, which okay. makes it five. Okay, All good. Right. All right. How many grandkids? I have three with uh, just him, my mm -hmm. husband and I, and then eight blended. Eight and good. one great-grandchild. Oh, and you have a great-grandchild. Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. I yes. learned something today. Great-grandchild. <laughs> yes. Okay, lovely. All right. All right. <clears throat> so... I, just, I wanted to ask that. Just ask about your family and move on. Um, when, now we're going to kind of move to a little bit about schools. Okay. Uh, talking about schools. Okay. Go ahead and feel free, okay. you know, just get you a bite yeah, and dig so in. And, you know, I, I don't mind helping. I, I've been getting mine in as you talk. Okay. So go ahead and get in. Um, so when you first went to school, grade school, you were in Texas, uh, what school was it? We're going to ask the name of it. What was the school? Now, how was school? Was school like it is now? Um, we have up here kindergarten uh, through fifth grade, and then sixth through um, eighth grade, and then ninth to twelfth. How was school, and what would you go? 
We didn't have kindergarten in Texas. You went to school first grade, you were six or seven. And okay. my first school, first, second grade, I went to M.W. Dogan, Matthew W. Dogan Elementary School. And then we had a new elementary school, George Washington Carver, was, that was built right behind my house. Okay. And that was from third grade to seven. Then we got, and these were all segregated schools, and then we got a junior high school that was seven and eight. My class, and I've never met anybody else who did this, we had a promotional exercise in the seventh grade in elementary school. And when I got to junior high school in the eighth grade, I had another promotional exercise until I went to the uh, high school. And that was nine through 12 at H.W. Pemberton High School in Marshall, Texas. Okay. If you're thinking back, did you participate in sports uh, in high school, middle school? I know you said in college you did, but did you do that before? No. After no. elementary school, I did not participate in any sports. Okay. No. Other activities, clubs, or anything you participated in? We had clubs, um, and they were more of a um, educational clubs. Okay. that we worked in. And when I was in elementary school, a lot of the teachers would come get me and other, maybe a couple of others to come and go to the first and second grade rooms to help the principal. You say, you come and help with, um, and I had groups to teach and I thought, oh, I'm not gonna be a teacher when I grow up. But I started long time ago in grade school, going to other rooms, assisting teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Set the foundation, and you didn't even know. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. So, it, it, would you say you had a uh, an influential teacher on your life that you remember pushing you in a certain direction? Oh gosh, I had so many. First of all, that's what my mother's family were teachers. Going back to my great grandmother, okay. my grandmother, and then my mother taught briefly, and she had a private piano lessons. And gosh, there were so many teachers in my life because they were not gonna let you fail. There was no such word as can't. And when I was growing up, I remember every teacher had in their classrooms the Ten Commandments. Of course, you can't do that now. Mm -hmm. And if a student did something that was not acceptable, they would say, did you learn that in Sunday school yesterday? And that was enough to make you rethink, oh, I'm not gonna do that again, because I didn't learn that in Sunday school yesterday. So, or did you learn it Sunday in Sunday school? They would say things like that to us. There were people who got corporal punishment, but not too often. Mm -hmm. Because if you did, they would call your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, cousin, so everybody know you got in trouble. And you didn't want your family to know you got in trouble. And my mother and father said, don't embarrass me when you go to school. So that uh, was, it, it, it kept you disciplined in a way where you would think, oh, I better not do that because my mother was gonna be very disappointed. Mm -hmm. So, or my father, my grandmother would be very disappointed if she knew I was misbehaving in school. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, 
Do you ever return back to your schools? Have you ever went back? Yes, I have. M.W. Dogan is no longer there. Carver is still there. Um, my high school has been closed. And after desegregation, they put everybody together. But while the college bought my high school, and they have made that a historical black history center. Oh, okay. And when I went back for a class reunion, I went and looked at some of those classrooms. I could remember, oh, I used to have French in this classroom. Here's the library. And eventually they would have different accomplishments that we made when we were in high school because my sister saw my oldest sister who was a cheerleader she said i went back to class reunion they had her on the shelf in her cheerleading uniform oh, okay. so they would have different they have different memories of us and we were so happy that it was not destroyed and on the back side of the high school they have a preschool so it was utilized because H.B. Pemberton was um, a descendant of a slave. And the story was he raised a lot of money to make sure that black children would have a high school. And he raised enough money to build a high school for black children in Marshall, Texas. So there's a lot of history and that's why um, it was really not destroyed because they want to keep that memory. And some of his descendants are in Dallas now. And every now and then they would come back to look at what happened in my public education school years. Okay. Nice. That's, that's a nice history there. I like that. Well, let's move. As we're moving past high school, we're moving toward college. Um, you, you told us a little bit about uh, where you went and kind of why, but I'm going to ask again. Okay. Um, you uh, attended what college? I first attended. First. The first uh, college I attended was Prairie View A&M University in Prairie View, Texas. It's now Prairie View, Texas. It used to be Hempstead. And I tell people I know three great people that graduated from Prairie View. Mm -hmm. That's Congressman Emanuel Cleaver. Okay. My grandfather, Nathaniel James, and me. Okay. I like it. <laughs> so was, was that your first choice to go to Prairie? Was that, that was, yes, was your first choice? Okay. Because um, being at Land Grant University, they were the only school that was close to me that had engineering. I know my mother's twin sisters went to Bishop College like she did, but they had to, they were home economics majors. So they had to, finish up their college careers at Prairie View. If you wanted driving, bricklaying, agriculture, that's what my grandfather got his degree in agriculture. Okay. Okay. And driver's ed, band, everybody across Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas, they would come go to Prairie View. Okay. So engineering, did your dad have any no, he, he, no, he okay. only went to the third grade because he said he had to stop and help his parents. No, I mean, did he have an influence uh, on you choosing engineering? Because you said he ended up um, in yes. the position of engineer. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Was, that, was that an influence on why you wanted to do engineering? Yes. Okay. Yes. He 
basically started at scratch and moved himself all the way up to become an engineer. Okay. And I was majoring in civil engineering. Okay, that was my next question. What was your major? So civil, civil engineering. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, that changed? Yes, it did. Uh, when I had to transfer to Wiley College, of course, okay. it was a private black HBCU school. Okay, I was waiting for that to come out. <laughs> and HBCU. Now, I'm going to yes. ask again, what does HBCU mean for our listeners? Historically black colleges Co and universities. Historically black colleges and universities. Okay, so Wiley College is a HBCU. All right, you move back and then you change your major to what? Sociology. Sociology. Okay. All right. Um, can you give me uh, a little bit about the experience of going to um, college? Like what that experience was for you? Well, when I went away from home, my, my father told me, he said, you're getting ready to lose some rights. And I thought, what kind of rights would he be talking about? Mm -hmm. But when I moved into the dormitory, I saw what he was talking about. There were no places to go get food after nine o'clock. And if uh, in the union hall, the little cafe closed, then you didn't have anything else to eat until breakfast the next day. And we didn't have a lot of money. And we used to, four or five of us used to put money together to buy a 50 cent hamburger. And we'd have to share a 50 cent hamburger. And I know people may look and say, 50 cents, that was nothing. But if you have five cents, it would take 10 of those five cents to make 50 cents. And I, when I first came home for the weekend, my mother had asked me, what do you want? You, want to, you know what I asked her for? Black eyed peas and cornbread. <laughs> oh, the same meal we having today. Same meal tonight. Okay. Prairie View has an agriculture um, program. They would uh, produce all our meat, the hogs, the cattle, corn, potatoes, lettuce, and we ate that every day, chicken or beef every day. Okay. And I, my first class, I had a political science at 7.30 in the morning was in the AI building, agriculture building. And we, it was where they did um, the packing house. Yes, the smell. <laughs> the packing house. Yeah. And we had food. That's where our food came from. The, the ag majors took care of all our food. They grew everything we ate. Okay. So yeah. we were never hungry. Because <laughs> we knew <laughs> yeah. on, on Wednesday we were going to get those large pork chops, two of them. Uh -huh. And on Sunday we always had fried chicken. Okay. Oh, okay. So was it different when you got to Wiley? Was it a different yes, experience? I, yes, I went back home and I uh, went back to my parents' house. Oh, so lived, you lived at home? Lived, you, yes, okay. lived off campus. Okay. And my father had said this to me. He said, you go to Wiley College, you're going to meet all kind of people. And people, and you're going to have friends forever. And I thought, oh, yeah, right. And I did. And that's where I met my husband. Oh, Okay. <laughs> that's where my oldest daughter graduated from Wiley College, and she, that's where she met her husband. Dad knew what he was talking about, huh? Yeah, he knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now I, I want you to 
explain for our listeners, um, because I'm getting ready to ask you uh, the next question. I know you're going to know where I'm leading into. Uh, but can you um, uh, just explain? No, let me ask you. I'm going to ask you this question first. Okay. So um, first I'm going to ask you, uh, why did you pledge uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated? Why did you pledge that? Oh, the Deltas in my community were very active. I was a legacy. And that means that one of your family members had pledged. I had an aunt who should be about 108 years old. She's deceased, but Mm -hmm. she was a member 80 years. Then my second oldest sister pledged Delta. My teachers were Deltas. My neighbors were Deltas. So that was just almost automatic. Gotcha. It's what you, what you knew, what you seen. Yes. Okay. I understand that. So for our listeners, I'm always, I, I want to build a bridge for them. Um, what does pledge mean? Like what is pledge? That's a period in your life where you show commitment that okay. I want to be a part of this organization. Okay even though I will have those challenges and I'm going to figure out a way with teamwork because we have to do everything with team mm-hmm. teamwork. How are we going to get, have those joyous moments, challenges and meeting adversities because everything you do in life, you may celebrate and be joyous with it, but I'm quite sure you're going to have some challenges in it. So a lot of people will say, Oh, it was a breeze. Yes, I did it. Yes. But you didn't do it by yourself. Right. You had somebody in that corner helping you, nudging you, um, encouraging you, and telling you you can make it. And there were many days I would wake up, even in my adult life, oh, gosh, I got to do this today. But I had to remember what people always told me. You've got to get up. Don't stay down. Because my mother told us how to sit up, stand up, and how and when to shut up. So we had to learn all of those and it has helped all of us and my family through all of our lives. And we can laugh at some of the things we thought were so terrible and horrible, but those were growing pains and learning lessons that I wish I could have um, not have kept my children from not having to experience, but those were things they had to experience. And I let them experience those, where they could come back and say, here are the advantages and disadvantages of what I just did. Okay. So can you explain uh, or describe um, Greek life? Like what, what is, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to get you to do <clears throat> is paint a picture to our listeners and our audience of what it is about. You know, what, what is, I, I know and I've heard it's about service, but I, I want them to understand, hey, this is, the reason I'm saying this is because, um, in, I, you know, I've worked in the school district for uh, going on my 24th year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have seen a decline in our students even knowing or understanding what that is, understanding the, the, the Greek life, the fraternities, the sororities, even you know, some of the, uh, even a lot of the family members not having family members that even know or are part. 
before it was a lot more prevalent. So that, I'm just trying to get them to understand kind of what what it is, what it's about, especially if this is the uh, first episode they watched and they didn't hear some of our other ones. Can you just explain kind of a little bit about what Greek life is or what, it's, what it means or what it's, what it's meant for? Well, one of the things is leadership. Okay. It teaches some people who've never had a role in being a president or being a secretary or having a voice that was one. Mm -hmm. It's about commitment. If we say we're going to do this, we're going to stick with it. How can we help our community better? It's about service. How can we make each other better? And as the, while we are helping the community get better, some people have the idea that Greek life is all party, glitz, and glamour. But if it had not been for some of these Greeks, then some things in some places would have never occurred. For example, in 1913, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority was the first and only black organization and sorority to watch in the women's suffrage. So I, I was going to get to that. I did my research. And okay. I have one of my questions is, I, so you, you, got there, you, you got there quick. One of my questions that I'm going to ask you, because uh, I, I looked it up, and I'm, I'm going to read it straight from my notes okay. since you brought it up. Delta Sigma Theta is founded at Howard University by 22 women. The founder's first act of public service was participating in the suffrage march of 1913. I was going to ask you, what is the suffrage march of 1913? What, is, what was that? <clears throat> the way I can describe it, and if you think about the Black Lives Movement. Okay. There are some things that organizations see in communities that are very unfair. Okay. We can petition the courts. We can uh, petition our lawmakers, and sometimes they don't hear us. Now, I'm very proud of the Democrats in Texas. They stood up and showed up and said, we're not going to go along with these egregious laws that you're going to take us back to where we might be end up paying poll tax again. So you are imposing on us something that's uncomfortable for you, but it's our right. So there are many organizations. My husband is a member of Omega Psi Phi, Fraternity Incorporated. Okay. So they did the same thing that, or took on some of the community activities that we take on, making sure that children have supplies at school, mm -hmm. making sure that they have mentors, making sure that they see people like them that are successful because I never thought that a woman could be an astronaut. In my day, there are some opportunities that were not available. But as time passes, and I'm proud to say uh, a person of the Divine Nine of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated is the Vice President of these United States of America. Yeah. That was another one of my questions. So we, we, you, I think our minds are just <laughs> going. And so you already hit. I was going to ask you what, you know, <clears throat> uh, do you feel any type of empowerment with having the vice president who is a member of the Divine Nine, which I'm learning some things, you know, from AK, 
that's now the you know the elected to office. So and you just said that. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, we look at some of our Congress people there in the by nine. Uh, so for example, Congressman Cleaver, mm-hmm. Jim Clyburn, he's Omega. Mm-hmm. So you look at some of those persons, and I truly believe with the leadership that they learned in those fraternities and sororities gave them the motivation and the courage to say, I'm gonna knock that wall down. Another one come up, I'm gonna knock that wall down. You are going to listen to hear what I have to say. Because we know Dr. King was a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha. Mm -hmm. And his brothers are always in the forefront. And I don't wanna leave our Kappa Alpha side, They're, they're Phi Beta Sigma. Mm-hmm. They all of these sororities and fraternities. I remember when we call on the yard, we had what was called a our our, our, our Wednesday meeting, and each of groups that you were in would put on for chapel. And during the chapel, they would tell what they were about. They would announce to say, we're doing this. We'd like your support. And that was a community of people, even though you were not a member of that group, but you were always there to help and support that group. And we need that more than ever now to let people know and understand just because it's your group doing it, we're gonna help you do it. We support you either in labor, financial, or some kind of way. And that's the way I was taught. If I have a lending hand, I'm going to help you with whatever you need. I like that. I, that's one thing I've noticed is the service uh, of every, each of the Greek fraternity, or not fraternities, fraternity and sorority. Right. Greek life, that they are really about service and, and being there. You know, one of our, um, i, I got to say this, um, you know, our district attorney, uh, Mark Dupree, is uh, uh, alpha. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he is. He he comes and supports. He's been to several of our uh, boys to men socials. Our, yes. our time. So I mean, he's come and support us. Well, the the reason, the only reason I know these things uh, is because of Dr. Tyrone Bates, who was on our leadership team. He's an alpha. So oh, he con- yes, oh, okay. ma'am. So mm-hmm. he he said that. But uh, then Jesse Morgan, uh, who puts on, uh, he was our um, one of our custodians there at, at Grant. Uh, he helped us start and helps us continue. Uh, put on our tie tying event and he is a sigma uh, and so when we had the tie tying event you know uh, another sigma who is on our leadership team which is julius brownlee you know so their brother and this and more so they came to our tie tying event and you know and then you hear you know but, but they all were there for service working together uh, and so i, I like that uh, I, and I, I do understand that and i wanted our um listeners to understand that uh, this is uh, a brotherhood, a sisterhood uh, that is built on service. I remember <clears throat> when I was at Wiley College, Kappa Alpha Psi would always do an Easter egg hunt. Okay. For the students, younger students. And it's amazing because a lot of our children never get those experiences. Mm-hmm. So they would take on projects to expose children to different activities and events that they may not otherwise been exposed to because of many reasons. It's not because of money all the time. It's the time that parents a lot of times don't have time to do 
extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. So when you have mentors that do that, there are rewards for them doing service and doing service for people who appreciate the service. Yes, I call that, um, which I heard uh, uh, Dr. George Frazier one time, I call that a win to the third power, where you yourself win because of the feeling of service, uh, the community self wins, and the people win. I mean, it's, it's everybody winning that's involved as students, so I like that. A um, couple more things really quick on this, and then we're going to move to one of my favorite subjects, and okay. that's you being an author uh, and okay. talk a little bit about these books. That's one of my favorite things. Um, is uh, can you just real quick? I, and I did my research again. I'm, I'm looking. Okay. Um, so five point programmatic thrust. That's an extensive array of public services service initiatives, um, which include what? That is something that they told me that uh, I read on the uh, when I did some research that Delta is about through uh, economic development, uh, ed educational development international awareness and involvement, political awareness and involvement, physical and mental health. Um, wh what is that? Those are examples of what you just said your organization does. Okay. And we all do it, but we may not label it that way. We have mm -hmm. part of our sorority where they have had people go to Africa and to okay. help them in some things that they needed to know, women and what that the community needs to know. Educationally, what have we done? We have helped with um, mentoring, tutoring, Saturday schools, um, okay. political awareness, being a part of voter education, gotcha. registration drives, okay. and on and on and on. And the stewardship that we perform, basically, I learned from mission from church. I was uh, in the red circles, and then you go to junior red circle, and the mission. And that was um, another caveat that really draws people to fraternities and sororities. Because foundationally, you learn these things at church. So once you learn them at church and you go someplace else and for me to have a brethren or a sister, I'm gonna continue that without my parents reminding me that you need to do something outside of yourself. Okay, nice. I like that, that's that public service initiatives. I, I like that. Uh, one more thing about Delta, this blew my mind. Okay. This, this year, I, I just did not, I didn't realize this, but as I was um, looking at it, w one of the things that it says, says the sorority currently has 1,000 collegiate and alumni chapters located, and this blew my mind, in the United States, Canada, Japan, Tokyo and Okinawa, Germany, the Virgin Islands, Bermuda, the Bahamas, Jamaica, and the Republic of Korea. I, I, so that you, you all have chapters in all of those countries? That's why we're international. Man. I did and not, that blew my mind. I said, wow. In Japan, Korea, Bermuda, Virgin Islands, man, Canada. Woo. As we started traveling as black people and going mm -hmm. to these 
different countries, we saw the need. Here again, I got a bun with somebody that looks like me. And the more people traveled, they saw, oh, gosh, you are part of that. You are part of this. Mm -hmm. So we began to organize and get together so that we could show our strengths. And we have done it. I, I would say, <laughs> I would say with chapters over there, I would say that. Okay, well. I wanted to get a chance to, uh, for our listeners to understand what uh, Delta Sigma was about. Um, I know how important it is to a lot of uh, the women there. Uh, we had the chance to talk before, you know, joke and talk about yeah. it. Um, and my, like I told you before, my, my, um, my cousin, one of my older female cousins, she is a, a, also a Delta, so that's where I first heard about it from. And she told me, I, I better make sure that I, I, I let you tell uh, about Delta, especially, you know, if, if any of the other ones have said, I better make sure that Delta says something. So I said, let's make sure we bring that out. All right. Now, as we move on a little bit to education, when you, before we get to the author part, and I, I got, I, that's my favorite thing. And if you haven't known that, that's one of my favorite things. When I found out when we were working together that you were an author, and that you had authored uh, those four books, it blew my mind. And not that it blew my mind, the fact that like it's a something that, um, a feat that couldn't be done or anything, it just blew my mind. Um, one is that I worked with you for so long and you never said anything. And I'm like, man, she has this book and she never said anything? You know, and then the two, once I was able to get a book um, and we read it, my son, we read it, I was, I, I'm, and this is not a downfall. I just was amazed at how it was put together, the message that came out from it, what he took from it, everything. So I just, I'm excited. I'm trying to hurry up and get there because that's what I really <laughs> want to talk about. But can we talk about uh, your career coming out of college? You graduated um, from college. What was the first career choice you made? And when did you get to Kansas City? After <clears throat> I graduated from college, I was I worked at Wiley College in the president's office in the office of the registrar. And after my husband graduated from college, I stayed in Texas. He went to Minnesota to look for a job. And then he said, oh, you're not going to like it. It's too cold. And I said, well, I was in graduate school and I had six more hours to get a master's. I said, you could just keep on traveling until you decide what you want to do. But after he said, I think I'm going to move back home to Kansas City, and I had to, that was one of the hardest things I had to do, was to leave my parents, pack up with my baby, and leave. And my fear game, my father said, I sure hate to see you go. My grandmother, I sure hate to see you go. But you didn't break your plate. You can always come back home. And I always remember that. And I, every opportunity that I got, I came back home. I moved in Kansas City in, the, in winter in 1975, December 75. And I kind of made this pact with myself. I'm just going to stay five years. But it's been 45. <laughs> Four decades and... <laughs> Half of one. <laughs> but I never forgot 
Texas, and he always supported that I would keep a, a connection because his father was here in Kansas City. I said, you can go see your daddy every day. I can't see my parents once or twice a year. So your husband is originally from Kansas Yes, he's City. born, okay, born and okay. raised in Kansas City. He graduated from Sumner High School. Well, so he was a Spartan? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, and so I was, did not plan to teach. I didn't want to teach, but I got into it. I, I was going to, my mind was go and work in the penal system. And I had signed up to work at Leavenworth. And in the meantime, I waited and waited. In the fifth year, I got information in the mail that I was number three to come and work at Leavenworth uh, Correctional Center. And I had been teaching in Kansas City for five years, and I thought, gee whiz, I think I want to try to do some things to keep them, be proactive, and not let them get there then to go. I'm not saying that they didn't need help. I said... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay and work with students to make sure that they get what they need and support and not get there. Okay. And I kept working in the school district with different uh, positions. And every time I thought, this is it for me, I would, someone said, no, you can't stop. You got to keep going. So I retired with Kansas City after 29 and a half years, and I started working at Hickman Mills. Then I started working in Kansas CK. And then I'm now still working in KCK. But it has been rewarding. It paid my bills. And there were many days I said, I'm just through with this. And people say, no, you can't stop. But I've, I've had some wonderful people I've worked with. And one of my, um, my publisher is Dr. Gwen Squires. Okay. Kansas City, Missouri. She uh, inspired me. She said, Dr. Sim, you've got to write some books. I said, I'm not going to books what am I write about <laughs> and you'd start telling your stories and I sat down and I I've, I've worked with students who were disabled who lacked self-confidence I've worked with bullies so my grandson it was struggling with dyslexia my nephew and my my granddaughter loved to draw and I thought well give me some stories and I took their stories and the stories I had from over my career, and I put it together, and I started writing, and I thought, oh, this can't go in this book. This can't go in this book. And I started writing and putting four, and, and, and the information I got, I got four at the same time. And within two weeks, the four books were written. I remember what my major advisor, Ron Newell, said when I got my doctorate. He said, uh, Sandra, don't write everything you know about in one book. He said, everything you know can go in one book. Save it for your second book. <laughs> I understand what he means now. Okay. So I had my books. I put this, and I'd call in my co-authors, and I got my daughter to get their illustrator together. She co-illustrated, and we put it with Dr. Squires. And there I have. And she's got to get me because I have four in manuscript I'm still working on. We're still working on four more. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to try to get those done before 2021. <laughs> Complete it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, as you tell us, can, and you can hold it up, can you tell us the, the name uh, of the four? And as we do that, we're going to get our, uh, we have a segment uh, that we're starting uh, with you. 
uh, and it's from the mind of the youth segment. And so we have some uh, youth that's going to come out, uh, okay. which is, I'm going to say, it's my son. And he looks just like handsome. <laughs> he's going to come out, and he's going to ask a couple questions. So uh, as you hold him up and tell us a different one. The first one is uh, Josh Babs and Diego's first day of school. Okay. I, as I work with students, they, a lot of them will be traumatized the first day of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it didn't matter what grade they were in from kindergarten or leaving elementary school to going to middle school or to high school, they would be traumatized. Yes. And we'd have to work with them to make sure that you were okay. The second one is no one understands me. And this is about, again, about the author who is struggling because he feels nobody's understanding him as he learns, he learns differently. And so, that's he, the one about dyslexia, right? This is one about dyslexia. Yes, okay. And gives you some facts about l- dyslexia. Yes. The next one is, I hate recess pranksters at work. And there are a lot of students who do not like research, recess right. because this is where a lot of bullying occurs. Correct. If I'm not athletic, if I don't know how to do this, then I'm teased. And when I taught kindergarten, the hardest activity for the boys to learn was jump rope. The boys would cry. The girls, it would be natural. And I would see how the girls would nurture them. These were five and six year olds. It'd be okay. And once they got confidence and learned how to jump rope, they were fine. Before then, it traumatized them. I'm gonna tell you another reason. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna tell you another reason why I just, I was in love these books. The last one is, Diego, we love you the way we are. Mm -hmm. You are, I'm sorry. And Diego is another person who's still struggling with learning. Big Bad Billy, the bully. And he wanted to change. I want to change everything about me, the way I look, the way I act, get new friends. But then his friends told him, you don't have to do all that because we still love you the way you are. And we'll still support you the way we are. And we have to tell children that you, along your journey, you're going to have these struggles. The first step to loving is loving yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, it's going to be very hard for other people to love you. So these are some of the books that um, we wrote. And we had fun writing them. And my sister's grandson this was written by my nephew my grand, my sister's grandson with me he would have calling Sandra. i got something else to tell her that can go in the book <laughs> and so then my grandson would say he, to his parents he said am i famous now <laughs> and my granddaughter want to know am i rich now okay <laughs> so they all have a different story to tell and it would be hilarious i said well you're famous and rich to me yeah and no one else thinks of that and i wanted them to be an accomplishment to them every person can write and yes. that's when i was in middle school that's basically what i taught english communication arts and to have the students to come to me writing phrases and barely putting a sentence they left me writing 15-page compositions. Man, nice. Not all of them, but a great deal of them. Mm-hmm. A, a, a win is a win. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like that. I yes. like it. Getting into being in grade school as we invite um, 
We invite old Mr. Peyton Towers, my son. Yes, we and, met. Uh, we read the books because we were able to get um, two of them. So I'm going to let him. He, he has something he wanted to say to you before he asked the questions. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Simmons, for signing the books to me. You are so welcome. <laughs> Speak up just a little bit. Thank Good. you, Dr. Sam Samuels, for signing the book to me. You are so welcome. Said you're welcome. All right, what's the first question you want to ask me? Take your hands out your pockets for me and don't sweat. Right. How, did, how did you come up with the main character's name, Diego? Well, I wanted to be multicultural because I grew up in a one culture. And everybody I saw was black, basically. I went to school, went to church. And then when I started, when I came to Kansas City, and I saw all different kind of people interacting. Now, we, did, it, we had different cultures, but they didn't interact when I was growing up. So when I came to Kansas City and saw how all the cultures were interacting, I wanted the character to be different. I wanted the character, and I just love the name Diego. So I came with that and BAPS, Black American Princess. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had Big Bad Bully. And we had some other characters in my, one of my oldest grandsons who just graduated from high school. He said, that's me. His name Trent is in the book, but I didn't really identify him as a character. But as he okay. read it, he said, that's me, that's me. So I was writing about people that I knew and if you can identify yourself in this book, that's wonderful. I'm glad that I could, could communicate with people that way. Okay, man. He has one more question he wants to ask. What made you want to tell us about not having to change for people to like us? A lot of people do not realize people like you the way you are. And if you go and change who you are, and that group is satisfied, then you go to another group, they're not satisfied. That means you gotta change. And then you go to this group, they're not satisfied. But if you stay with yourself, it doesn't matter if people will say things to you, words do hurt, but we've gotta to learn to get over those. Don't change who you are. Stay who you are, and you'd be surprised how many people like you. It took me a long time to figure out I, I was growing up, and even I, I was an adult, and I thought, oh, they don't like me, I gotta do it, I don't like you. Then, then I turned it around and said, they do like me. They have a hard telling me they like me, so they will say meaning hurtful things to me, but they want to be just like you, and they don't know how to tell you. They wanna be just like you. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn that the hard way and figure it out. Why are these? Why do they act like this? And why do they act like that? It was because they really wanted to be my friend and didn't know how to tell me they wanted to be my friend. And that's what Diego is learning. He had a lot of friends and his teacher told him, just, I'll help you. But he was so frustrated because he was being bullied and he had learning problems, which gave him um, a lot of things to be concerned about, but sometimes Diego made his own problems. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Simmons, I'm, I'm very proud of my son right here because he came up with those questions on his own after we read the book. He said, I want to know why she named him Diego. And then he said, well, 
Like, why does she tell us to this? So, okay, so he came up with those questions on his own. So thank you very much. We appreciate and you. Before Mr. Uh-huh. Payton goes, I have uh-huh. autographed books for the two that your father didn't buy. Uh-huh. And for you being courageous and coming up with that, I'm going to give you those books. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> those are for your <laughs> library. <laughs> okay, that gives us two more to read. He likes reading. And he's been doing pretty good at reading, so I, right. I, I'm very proud of him. And thank you so very much for the gift of the books. Oh, um, one thing I got to say why I told you I was just so elated. When I read the books, um, as you know, I was in the grade school when I met you. And that was my first time working in grade school. And um, I had been in the high school and middle school for my other parts of my career. Uh, but I realized <clears throat> just through the first couple of weeks of being there, uh, all these things that you're talking about. I realized, man, kids don't want to go to recess. I never realized it. Like, I wanted to go to recess. It was great, you know. But then I'm starting to realize why they don't. As I'm talking to them, I'm thinking, oh, man, okay. So I'm realizing, I'm like, man, this how much bullying is really going on? How much insecurity is really going on? As we're getting to some of the reasons kids are acting up, and as you know, I deal with the, yes. uh, some of the chronic behaviors. And yes. my thing is to support the students uh, who need a little extra help in the classroom. So when I'm finding out, like, oh, okay, this is why. It, mm-hmm. They're having an issue with reading. They're having an issue with the way that they actually learn, the way that things are being input, you know, in their brain. You know, I'm finding these things out. When I start reading these books, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. this is great. This is great information. Even for me, like, I'm reading it like, okay, I'm understanding a little bit more. But then when we read it together and he's telling us, he's understanding, like, oh, yeah, yeah we don't have to change it. I won't. You know, I, I just, I think it was great. And so I, I love the books. We're going to show them again uh, so that people, and we're going to, if you can tell us right now, this is your spiel, tell us where they can find the books, and we're going to put that out. Where can they go and find these books? They can find them on my website at tncbooks.com, or, and they're also on Amazon. Okay, TNC Books and Amazon. And Amazon. Amazon, okay. Yes, right. and this is Diego, my right. fourth book, we, we Love You the Way You Are. Okay. I hate recess pranksters at work. Okay. No one understands me. And I want uh, to also say about this one. This book um, is the bestseller. No one understands me. Man, I can understand why it is. Like when we read that and talked about dyslexia and how he thought like he was so nervous about when it came time to read, he didn't realize that the letters are jumping off the page and dancing. And, oh, man, it, it, I can understand why. Very good read. And the <clears> first <throat> one is Josh Baps and Diego's first day of school. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that we, uh, when this airs, we'll make sure that we put those websites out okay. so people can learn where to find them. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions. Um, you did. You, you kind of hit on, man, we are we like right here with this because when I got a question here, you kind of hit. I was going to ask you about why you authored and illustrated with your grandkids, uh, but you kind of already told us why, you know. But t- tell us mm-hmm. again, you, 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 your grandkids authored, co-authored with you, and then they also illustrated, co-illustrated. Yes, I had mm-hmm. a grandson who is dyslexic. Okay. And he was experiencing letters jumping off the page and running and and he didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And he told his parents one day. So now they had to take corrective measures to help him mm-hmm. with um, 
being dyslexic, his numbers reversing, and he get and a lot of children that way. And I taught them when they one of the most common ways they they uh, words they would see saw and was. If it could be saw and they would say was, it could be was and they would saw. It's the way they process it, mm-hmm. and they see their threes as eights are turned backwards mm-hmm. or it's a mirror if you put a book in front of the mirror that's what they would see that's what they see okay. the mirror and one time we had a workshop and person came and was doing the workshop and I was sitting over there with some of the other teachers and they said Samuels how can you read all of that and I was reading that it was a it was a poem and I was transcribing the words I said well that's because my students see it like this, and I know what they're trying to say. And some of the teachers were first, they said, I didn't ever think of it, but this is the way they saw it. And this is how I had to teach students who saw that that way. So I became not an expert, but I did learn how to help my children in their learning patterns because of how they saw words, how they saw things, how they processed things, I understood it. Okay. Wonderful. Man, I, I just, uh, <laughs> I'm just amazed. I'm waiting for the other four. You said, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be asking, you said before 2021 is up. I'm, I'm okay. going to get those written. Okay. So We're going to get those written. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be waiting on those. Great reads. Great to have you here. Um, I got just a few more questions, and we're going to end up. Okay. Um, our couple questions is, uh, what advice would you give uh, any of our uh, listeners, our youth uh, growing up uh, on their road of life uh, about getting into, um, uh, let, let's say, um, I wanted to ask you about getting into writing, you know, books. But I, I want to, now that we talked about I want to ask you, what experience would you give them in to chasing their dreams? Uh, I listened to a very, very good writer, producer, actor. Was on an Oprah show one day in the name of Tyler Perry. Okay. He said he was down and out, and he picked up paper and pencil and just putting different experiences he had going through life. And before he knew it, he had a play. Before he knew it, he had two plays. And on and on and on, so you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. It's never ending. And what I do like about his story, he didn't stop there. He's bringing people along with him. Mm-hmm. He's giving young actors like me and you an opportunity where they may not have ever gotten it in Hollywood. He's giving producers and writings, writers an opportunity. So I would say to anyone who has an idea, have fun with it. Don't get frustrated. Just have fun with it. And I did read, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, that the people who have a lot of money now, they did something that they liked as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And they never thought it would explode. And we know some of those people now. Mm. Uh, This is a a fun question before I ask you my wrap-up question. Tell me something that um, 
uh, that most people wouldn't know about you? Gosh. A lot of people don't know I, I play the piano in Oregon. Oh, you play piano in Oregon, okay. Oh, I had no choice. My mother was a music teacher and we had to learn. I started taking music lessons when I was five. So we should have brought a piano out here and had that ready for you to show us. I think little. I would have really run out of here. <laughs> okay, this is how I end every show. It's been so wonderful to have you, but this is how I end every show. Uh, every show I ask, um, uh, you talk about playing football, so I know you know a little bit about the Super Bowl. Yes. So we're um, in the Super Bowl, and um, at the Super Bowl, you're watching the Super Bowl, and they call and say, Dr. Uh, Sandra Samuels, you have just uh, won a 60-second commercial. You can't sell it to anybody. Uh, you have to go ahead and you're going to come down. They're giving you this 60-second commercial. Um, and you don't really have much time to think about it. You got about as much time as once I finish this question. So what is it that you'll use that 60-second? What is your commercial? What will your commercial be? What will you use that 60 seconds? at halftime of the Super Bowl game to say. And it's going to start one, two, three. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be the best Super Bowl of all times. We will see Dak Prescott and Mahomes, two Texas teams originally in the Super Bowl. You're going to get excitement. You're going to get learn how to play the sport. You're going to learn sportsmanship, and you're going to learn skill. Watch, listen, learn, and I am rooting for both teams because they are from Texas. I am a Texan. You can live in Texas and not like the Cowboys. Okay. That was a different one. You didn't tell them about your books or nothing. You went straight for the just rooting both teams. And I, I see how you put the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. I see that. Well, there is a short story behind that. Okay. I had a teacher at Wiley College. Mm-hmm. who taught humanities and all the young men sat in the front and every Monday they taught football I had relatives, brother-in-laws, nephews they played football and I thought well I'm going to have to get in this conversation so I got with my father my brothers and said teach me how to play football so I got in the conversation and I was the only female in that humanities class that made a B because the conversation was around the Dallas Cowboys and my teacher was from Boston and she was not black, she was white. And she talked about the Dallas Cowboys. And I told my father and my brothers, move over because I'm gonna learn how to play football. <laughs> okay. So I, like, I did. I like. But I learned, too, how to play football because people won't believe when I played at Wiley College in my physical education class, and I tell people I was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I was a running quarterback because I did not stay in the pocket because those defensive linemen were chasing me all over that, <laughs> over that field. So I had to learn how to play football as a quarterback. <laughs> I like it. Dr. Samuels, thank you so very much for coming out and being a part of our Even Social podcast today. It was wonderful uh, having you, uh, being here. Um, I appreciate the gift that you made 
to my son this evening. Thank you so very much. And we're looking forward uh, to your new books coming out uh, okay. and a wonderful school year. I thank you so much, Mr. White. You are a godsend to this community. Thank you. And boy, oh boy, I hope that the fire catches and more black, African-American, I'm trying to get all of the phrases together, would work with our young people because they need to see you. Well, they really do. And you, you showed up. Much. I work with you and you showed up every time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that's the end of our show tonight. Okay. And we'll see you next week. What's going on, good people? As always, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Dunlap, and I want to welcome you and thank you for joining me on this segment of Red Pill, where I share with you financial tips to help you decode the matrix. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more than the truth. What you do with it is up to you. Uh, on today's segment, we're going to be talking about debt. Yep, debt, the bad D word that no one wants to talk about. Um, but debt's important, right? It's, especially paying down your debt. And that's what we're going to talk about today is Focusing on ways that we can pay off our debt. And the reason why is because debt really impacts your credit score. Uh, for a young audience, once you turn 18, you're going to start having a credit score. And the thing that's going to happen with you, it happened to me, it happens to everyone. Credit cards are going to start coming out of the woodworks, giving you these great offers on run up this debt, run up this credit card. And you want to avoid that at all costs because that's going to be the quickest way to destroy your credit score before you even get one built. However, if you do get into a situation where you start using credit cards, you just want to be mindful of making sure that you pay things down. What you may not know is anything above 30% utilization starts to negatively ding your credit score and have a bad impact on it and starts bringing it down. So if you do have debt today, this is for all of our audience, if you do have debt today, look at your utilization, see how high it is and start making plans to paying that down. And it may be not eating out as much or maybe not going out to party as much as or whatever your vice is and start putting that towards your credit card so you can bring that down to a 30 or 30 below percent utilization and you're going to see wonders start to happen for your credit score. Another important thing about paying off debt is, you know, we hear a lot of talk about generational wealth and we're building wealth with this with this new movement. Well, um, one thing you may not know is your wealth is calculated based on the things that you own versus what you owe on the things that you quote unquote own. For instance, you may have your own car, you may have your own house, but as long as you have a car note and a mortgage, that's still going to be a negative impact on your wealth. Um, give you an example. If you have a $10,000 car loan and you only have $2,000 in your bank account and you don't own anything else, Fortunately, your net worth is only negative $8,000. So you're climbing out of the hole to get to a basic net worth of, uh, of $0. So when we start talking about wealth, generational wealth, we want to get out of the debt so we can really start building our wealth and climbing out of that hole. Again, thank you for joining me on this segment of The Red Pill, where all I do is give you financial tips to help you decode the matrix. I'm offering you truth, nothing more than the truth. What you do with it is up to you.